This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cohen Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. We've been talking about this, this text, the four, the Bodhisattva's four methods of guidance. First, we talked about uh, what was the first one? The quiz. Hmm. Generosity. Right. Next, we talked about kind speech. And tonight we're going to talk about beneficial action. In some ways, I think this is one is the most difficult to talk about, just because on the surface it seems so easy. One of the fundamental stories of Zen, one of the stories that the Zen tradition goes back to over and over, I think I've already told you this story, but you'll hear it again, is of Bodhidharma, who came from India and arrived in China and met soon with uh, the emperor, Emperor Wu. And the story goes that Emperor Wu, who was a great patron of Buddhism, and had built a lot of temples and a lot of stupas and had commissioned a lot of art and a lot of statues and these things, uh, was very eager to have this Indian monk in his court. And that when Bodhidharma arrived, he took him around and gave him a little tour of the things that he had uh, spent his money on in the name of Buddhism. And after showing all this and describing all of this, he said, So... What's my, what's my merit? And Bodhidharma's response was, nothing. No merit at all. That doesn't mean that there was no merit to what the emperor did. It simply means that the emperor doesn't get to have any of it. I've heard it said that we can own our actions, but we cannot own the fruits of our actions. I think it shows a weird kind of clinging to even want to own your actions, but it speaks to the same point. So today I want to talk about this this idea of actions that have merit that we don't get to keep. When we speak of the three of the precepts, we say that there are three pure precepts. These are the ones we talk about first. And these two are so dangerous because they seem so simple on the surface. The first is to do no evil. The second is to do only good. And the third is to do good for others. So there's really only one pure precept. 
the other two, no matter how you look at it, are intended to clarify what the, what the one means. Right. What does it mean to do no evil? Well, it means to do only good. What does it mean to do only good? What is good? Well, good is good that's done for others. I'll read from the text from Dogen. He says, Beneficial action is skillfully to benefit all classes of sentient beings. That is, to care about their distant and near future and to help them by using skillful means. In ancient times, someone helped a caged tortoise. Another took care of an injured sparrow. They did not expect a reward. They were moved to do so only for the sake of beneficial action. In ancient times, someone helped a caged tortoise is a reference to a man named Koyu who saved a turtle. Uh, All I know is that he saved a turtle, quote, in distress. I don't know what was going on. (laughs) But in the way these stories work, he later became the governor of his district. Koyu, not the turtle. (laughs) Dogen writes, another took care of an injured sparrow. This goes in a very similar vein. This is a nine-year-old boy named Yoho who took care of an injured bird and later three of his descendants became top officials in the Chinese government. I think it's so interesting that we talk about it this way, that even Dogen talks about it this way, because even as Dogen is trying to make a point about there being no reward, he's spelling out rewards, right? He's saying, now we can, we can applaud Koyu and we can applaud Yoho because they did this seeking nothing. And maybe they themselves didn't feel the, the reflection of that action. But they kind of did. It's very hard for us to get away from this. There's a school of thought. It sounds strange to say that. I think the dominant school of thought says that morality doesn't really work unless we have, at the very minimum, a system of rewards in place. And if we're really going for it, a system of rewards and punishments. It's my experience that whenever uh, Zen priests get together and start lamenting how few people come to their centers, the same joke always comes up, which is that if we would just start talking about hell, we'd start to fill the seats. It helps. It gets people in the door. We want for there to be a reward. And I think that this, this mode of thinking, though true on the level that we're easily motivated, does not speak to the deepest level of morality. As long as you're expecting a reward, 
or hoping for a reward, you're still missing the point, even if your actions are positive, which is the whole story of Emperor Wu. It's very nice that he made those statues. It's very nice that he built those temples. He just didn't understand why he was doing it. Foolish people, this is Dogen again, foolish people think that if they help others first, their own benefit will be lost. But this is not so. Beneficial action is an act of oneness, benefiting self and others together. We're still having trouble stepping away from the point. We're still talking about benefit. When I was very young, maybe eight or nine years old, uh, I was, I grew up in Montana. There was a big snowstorm. And as soon as it stopped snowing, I ran outside and I grabbed a shovel and I started shoveling the driveway. And my grandfather was visiting and he came outside and he sat on the steps and he watched me and, uh, he was so proud of me. I remember, I didn't know my grandfather very well. I never did, but I knew this. I knew that he was really happy with what he was seeing in his grandson. And he said, wow, you just came right out here. You just came out here to take care of this. And I said in that dumb, innocent way kids do, because it was true. I said, yeah, I think I can probably get $5 out of this. (laughs) I was absolutely convinced that I could shoveled the driveway, and then I could go in and bargain for it afterward. And I honestly don't remember if I tried, but what I do remember is knowing without any question that in that moment my grandfather was not proud of me anymore. It was so clear in his face that something had changed dramatically. He was so disappointed. He thought I was doing this great thing. I was just a very bad businessman. I like this next part. Dogen writes, To greet petitioners, a lord of old three times, stopped in the middle of his bath, and arranged his hair, and three times left his dinner table. He did this solely with the intention of benefiting others. He did not mind instructing even subjects of other lords. So, this lord of, the, of, of old stopped in the middle of his bath and arranged his hair, and three times left his dinner table. Uh, he Three times he had guests, so three times he washed his hair as an act of, of, uh, of generosity, as, as to hold up his, his sense of decorum. Right. Someone came to the door, he went and washed his hair. Someone else came and he thought, oh, I better wash my hair again. Right. Because each guest equally deserves that attention. Three times he left his meal because three times 
each person equally deserved his attention. The thought was not of his own convenience. The thought was not of what he wanted. It was automatic. Someone is here, and I am the host, and the host does this. I know a way out of having to wash your hair. (laughs) I could have saved him. Dogen writes, he did this solely with the intention of benefiting others. He did not mind instructing even subjects of other lords. Thus, you should benefit friend and enemy equally. You should benefit self and others alike. If you have this mind, even beneficial action for the sake of grasses, trees, wind, and water is spontaneous and unremitting. This being so, make a wholehearted effort to help the ignorant. There's a term that shows up a lot in, in the Zen world, in, and in Japanese it's mushotoku. Shotoku means profit or gain. So mushotoku is, if you hear this mu a lot, it means it's a negator. So this is the, this is the opposite. This is to do something with no, uh, no gain, no sense of profit. Nothing comes back to you. One of my teachers uh, has made it his specialty to learn how to fold lineage documents. It's a tedious and boring endeavor, and, and it, but it's something that almost no one knows how to do according to the tradition. And so n- now that he's been doing this for decades, and it's not that this is the only thing he does, but this is something he does quite seriously, he goes to AAHG, he goes to the, the big monasteries, and when they have uh, precept ceremonies, he's the guy who sits in the back with the monks, and he teaches the monks how to fold these these documents. And he, he talks about this. He says, he says the reason that he likes it so much is not because of the, the action of it, though he enjoys this kind of mechanical. It's like anything, right? If, if you do something a thousand times, you get your body kind of develops a memory for it. It's that when, when he stumbled upon this and when he realized that there was no one who was the specialist he saw that this was a great opportunity to do something that embodied for him this idea of mushotoku. He gets nothing from this. It is not even satisfying. (laughs) Right? And yet, he sees it as something to be preserved. Right? He knows that he can preserve it a little bit longer and that he can share it with other people, and they can decide what to do with it. So it's his, it's his little joy that he has committed himself to this thing that everyone thinks is silly, that no one cares about at all. It's his little corner of the world. And he would tell me many times, he said, find something like that. Be it specialized in something that no one thinks is important. 
and then just give it everything. That's a kind of, I think, quirky example. But this applies to, to everything that we do. Zazen is an obvious example. Right? If you want to practice doing something for no profit or gain, you're already well on your way. But it's also such a critical aspect of understanding how we relate to larger issues. When you're walking in the desert and you see a can, an empty can, and there's no one for a hundred miles, do you pick it up? No one will give you a gold star if you do. And whether you do or whether you don't, Somewhere just out of sight, there's another one. But I say you pick it up. Not even because you think you're making some sort of dent. But because ultimately, to do good for others is to do good for the sake of doing good. We do good for good. We unplug appliances at night knowing that we are not single-handedly delaying some sort of environmental crisis. We know that. We understand that this tiny gesture in the great scheme of things affects almost nothing. And we understand that even if we shout from the rooftops, we may never get enough people to join us in that action to make a difference. Though I'm glad that there are some people who believe that they can. We do it because we understand that to do it is better than to not do it. It costs us very little. And in exchange, we don't get anything. It's not a great deal. But it's what we're being offered. I think this is very hard. Personally, I think it's a very hard thing to remember. I think it's very hard to step outside of a story about the goodness or the badness of an action. I think it's very difficult to step outside of our idea about what an action means about us. You know, I recycle, you know, really, really conscientiously. So that means I'm this kind of person, right? And my neighbors don't, so it means that they're this kind of person, right? But you can recycle conscientiously without that story. And that's what's being asked. 
I'll finish with this just because I think it's so interesting and because I think about it often. The former uh, abbot of Eiheiji, which is the the oldest Soto Zen monastery in Japan, when he passed away, he was I, 106 years old, I think. It was remarkable. He... Um, a little little tiny man in in a wheelchair and they would wheel him around the the monastery and I saw an interview with him on television when he was probably a mere hundred and three or something like that and and they were asking well what is the fruit of Zen practice what happens you know and, and they said and you're such a great person to be asking this question to because you've been practicing now for something like 90 years what does it look like and he said, he said, well, if you've really dedicated yourself to this practice, if you've really committed to these teachings, then when you see a, a picture on the wall that's crooked, you'll just reach up and straighten it. That was it. That's what you get. I won't say any more about that except to just kind of hand it to you in the way it was handed to me. It's worth chewing on. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.